Hello, Hi Rock. Welcome to our daily devotional. We're continuing with our walk through Exodus, and we are in the second of the Ten Commandments today. So we're in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, where we read this. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. The entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. But I lavish unfailing love for a thousand generations on those who love me and obey my commands. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the first command was to have no other gods. And then this uh, gets a little more concrete in saying that we'll have no graven images, no carved images, no images of anything, uh, of any created thing. And in many ways, this is really just a, a corollary of the, the first commandment. Having no other gods means also not creating false images. Um, and I think one of the uh, reasons for this is that in, in this particular uh, uh command, the second command, is that we have to be careful not to confuse the creator with the creation. Um, the creation is always less than the creator, and it takes our eyes off of God and gives us a, a negative trajectory, right? Like, you know, you, if you are what you worship or you head in that direction, we want to worship the creator, not the created thing. But it also degrades who we are, because as we saw in Genesis, uh, as we see in Genesis, uh, human beings were created as the pinnacle of God's creation, meant to be stewards over creation, and we bear in us the image of God. And so we're this kind of created to be this kind of bridge between the created order and the creator. And so if we worship created things, we're also degrading ourselves and degrading other people. And so there's a danger in that. But then we get to this uh, kind of harsh and maybe in some ways enigmatic statement that God punishes children out to the third and fourth generation because God is a jealous God. And how are we to take that? My sense of this is that God often speaks metaphorically. Um, we know from other statements in the Bible that God is not motivated by base emotions like petty jealousy. Instead, God speaks, uh, maybe a, a, the theological or philosophical word would be phenomenologically. In other words, God speaks to us in terms that match our own experience and our experience is limited, so God has to, you know, uh, God has to contextualize things in a way that might, may not be fully accurate, but they match our experience so that we can understand. And so we have this experience of our, our emotions and jealousy. We all understand that in jealousy, in some cases, would be justified in good, like like in marriage partners who desire a faithfulness in one another. Um, but then we get to this sins of the third and fourth generation. How you know? How do we take that? I mean, I think there's clear evidence elsewhere that God doesn't punish anyone for someone else's sin. He holds us each accountable for our own actions. So why would God say this? Well, I think if we look at our own experience, we have all seen and maybe even experienced how uh, there is this generational trauma or generational sin that affects not just us or, you know, someone else, but 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 it's passed down to our children in so many ways that we we can't even see until it starts bearing its you know its uh, damaging fruit. Um, and everyone today who's listening with us today can probably think of some way that they have personally suffered because of the way that their parents suffered. That some trauma or sin that their parents were exposed to has been, in some sense, passed down to them. And so. 
what do we make of that? Well, I think if nothing else, we have to just say that God is pointing out a reality that there is a consequence to the ways that we live, not just for ourselves, but out to many generations, three or four generations even. But then the flip side is it's this is not like symmetric, a symmetrical thing. There's an asymmetry for, between um, grace and punishment. Uh, and here on the grace side, it says, but for those who are faithful and loving, then this blessing will go to a thousand generations. So, so much more than, than any negative consequence might be passed down. That grace so, so, is so overwhelming in comparison. God's rewards are so overwhelming in comparison to the consequence of sin that in many ways, I could see this as being taken as something that would even blot out the kind of generational trauma or generational sin that's passed down. And I would say that I've experienced this in my own life in a lot of different ways. I think of my, my mom went through the Korean War. She was about five years old when they fled south from North Korea to South Korea. She witnessed the death of one of her older sisters. The, they were on this train and the, the, all the luggage and boxes that were piled up fell over and they crushed her. And, I, you know, and they had to start over in life in, in, in South Korea. I can only barely even begin to imagine the effects that that had on her. And much of that negative uh, impact, that trauma was passed down into my family, my generation. And, and, and I've had to, you know, deal with that, but I could have experienced this second, this, this latter part of this, this command that God lavishes out, you know, to the, uh, through a thousand generations, I've seen so many ways in which that God's love has overcome this trauma. It hasn't been always easy or, or, or clean, but, but it's definitely something I've experienced that God's grace and love is just so overwhelming in comparison to the effects of this trauma that can be visited. So we need to take seriously the consequences of sin and going down false paths and having uh, false idols and, and, and true deciding to worship anything other than God. We need to take that seriously, but we also need to take even more seriously the, the grace that God offers to overcome and even wipe out the, the trauma that we would otherwise pass on to one another. So Dave, I'm wondering uh, what you see here. Well, I mean, I think, I mean, you've covered well the third and fourth generation thing. I think it's so true. I mean, just in, in our own family, I think it's, um, you know, I, I know the story of my mother-in-law's parents, what they were like and how that affected her and then how, you know, that her sin then affected my wife and my wife's sin uh, has affected our kids. And, and the same thing in my family, right? Uh, I think the thing that is really neat in her, my wife's family, right? So that what my wife, she's still experienced some of that generational curse you talk about, but, but my mother-in-law digested some of it. So not all of it was passed down. And my wife has been doing a ton of work so that then less of that gets passed down to our kids. And, and unfortunately, they're still going to be left with some work, right? Not just because of, of the kind of their generational sin, but because of our, my, my, in my family too. Uh, all of that's going to come down. But, but I think that the, the promise of, of us doing this kind of spiritual work of, of repentance and self-examination and confession and, uh, you know, having other people have accountability with us, with all of that, I think the real promise of it is that there can be healing and it's hard work. Anybody who's done this work knows it's hard work. It's very painful. You have to die to yourself. And yet as you do it, the, the, the benefits aren't just to you. They go down to the third and fourth generation and to the thousandth. They go on and on and on. And, and so I, I feel like that that is part of our responsibility is to figure out, given what I've received, how do I do my best? I, I may not be able to eliminate all of it, 
And so then I'm going to be able to be a perfect parent. That's unrealistic. But can I have done my part to be able to have, you know, have absorbed some of that sin uh, and, and brought some of that to be redeemed so that now further generations won't have to carry that same burden? Um, so anyway, I, I think that's true. I also, you know, just I, whenever I think of the, uh, the, the 10,000 generations, I remember one time I got to go to a wedding for one of my very close friends and, uh, and his family and her family, both just generations of Christians. And so at the wedding, the grandmother of the grandmothers of the two, the bride and the groom, who themselves had become friends, uh, the grandmothers told the story that started back five generations of these people who'd been faithful to follow Jesus. And, you know, there were pastors and there were missionaries and just all kinds of faithful lay people. It was incredible, these stories they passed down. And suddenly it was just being there, you know, hearing this long, 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 long toast. You're thinking last thing you want at a wedding is a long, long, long toast. This toast was so inspiring. And now it's been, what, 30, 40 years, 30 years. And I remember it so vividly because suddenly I saw these two aren't just two people who like each other, right? These are two people who've inherited this this blessing that has been passed down and magnified for generations. And so no wonder they're such incredible people. <laughs> I love them so much Be because this is the, this is what the accumulation of blessing can look like. Uh, and of course, that's my hope, right? It, it, from, from my own children as well, that one day maybe that, that, that they'll be able to tell that same kind of story. Um, I, just going back, and I know we don't have enough time to really cover this as much as I'd like, but the, the graven images piece, uh, I think is an interesting one. Um, you know, the question is, all right, so should there be an image of God in the Sistine Chapel, right? Obviously, that's okay. I would actually go, no, I think that's actually not okay. I think that's a huge mistake. Uh, because, you know, there's that, we all that familiar, you know, the creation of Adam scene, right? And there's God is the sort of like very stern old man. And, and I think that those things do affect and in fact limit our understanding of who God is in a way that is, I think, very unhealthy. Uh, and unhelpful. And God says, you're not going to be able to grasp me. Everything you do will end up being an insult to me. Everything you do will limit me. Uh, and in fact, limit your ability to grasp who I am. So don't do it. And, and I think that we ought to be more careful with that. You are right in saying that humans, we're actually the image of God, but no one of us is the image of God. I'm not the image of God. You're not the image. We together are the image of God, right? And that includes our desire for each other, our need for each other, right? The, the, the relatedness of humanity actually reflects the interdependence of the humanity reflects that is the image of God. That's what God looks like. Uh, and so I think being able to, to, uh, to see, okay, we're the image, but it's surely an imperfect image. Uh, so, and that's what makes Jesus so special. And, and I, I know there are some traditions that say, well, no, you shouldn't even have pictures of Jesus, but Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. But there's a danger even there because None of us know quite what Jesus was looking like. There were no Polaroids back then. You know, nobody could like get an exact, oh, this is what he really looked like. So everything is a guess. Uh, and I think that it's it's fine if we just do our best to depict Jesus as a, a Semitic person, right? We can make our best guess. I also think it's fine because Jesus is God come to us in human flesh to live among us as one of us. I think that it's, it's also acceptable if you say, hey, in Chinese people sh should make a Jesus, a picture of Jesus that looks like a Chinese person, right? That's fine, right? A Semite or a Chinese person. Uh, I, I think if the people in, in Norway want to have a Jesus that, that looks like, you know, me, great. That's fine because that's, you know, it's, it's somebody who looks, you know, local. Um, the mistake I saw, one, one of the places that really made this so vivid for me is I remember being in Sri Lanka uh, 
And in Sri Lanka, the, you know, the Catholic Church had had a real um, you know, big footprint there. And so there's statues of Jesus who is so white, it makes me look like, you know, a savage tan ad. Uh, I mean, it's just so white. But And I thought, that is a mistake. That actually, I think, is a sin. Uh, because what we're doing is is deliberately having Jesus not look like the people and suggesting that they are not like Jesus, right? Jesus is like their captors. Uh, I think that's where it gets dangerous. And so we do need to be so careful when we're making images, even of Jesus. Uh, but I, I just think we cannot be careful enough when we're making images of God, that God is beyond our ability to comprehend or imagine. There is no way we can depict God. And we should never try because everything is a limitation. So I think this commandment gets too little attention. Uh, yeah, and, and as you were saying that, I was just thinking of all the ways that um, political empires have used missionaries as unintentional agents of war to kind of soften up uh, the the colonized peoples to uh, elevate um, their captors, the, their their colonizers. That's right. Well, John, maybe you could close us in prayer today. I, I would love to. Our good and gracious God, we thank you that you have given us your image and that when we feel this desire to craft an image, Lord, that we remember that you have given us your image, that first of all, that we all together are created in your image, that we image you. But even more than that, Jesus of Nazareth is and was the perfect image of you. Like when he said to Philip, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. Lord, we pray that you would give us a clearer and clearer image of who Jesus is, a clear appreciation and experience and understanding of who Jesus is, so that we might understand who you are and who we are to be and become. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Friends, thank you for joining us this week. Uh, you know, in just a little bit uh, this morning, I'm going to be leaving for a vacation. And uh, and so if it's okay, I'd love just to ask for your prayers for me. I'm going to have a couple days with friends and family. And then a couple of days of total silence with God. And uh, I would just welcome uh, your prayer that God would meet me there and, and just encourage me and, uh, and whatever, <laughs> rebuke me as I need, all of those things. Uh, anyway, I just appreciate that we're all in this journey together. And we look forward to seeing you. John, we'll see you on Monday. And I'll look forward to seeing you when I get back.